0: Stop spreading fear and acknowledge some facts. This is not about freedom or personal choice. You know you can't work anymore unless you do what I say. That's essentially what a vaccine passport is. Wear masks obviously is a violation of
1: your personal rights, and so is being locked down. We've been patient. Our patience is wearing thin.
0: Open society back up. Restore our freedoms. End this madness. Welcome again to conservative one pandemic unmasked. I'm George Christensen, your host and Australian member of Parliament. And we're lifting the veil here in this podcast on the Wuhan flu to see what lies underneath and what lies underneath for religious liberty has been quite damning. Indeed, Uh, we've seen government overreach impact upon churches and places of worship where they've been shut down, they've been restricted. People have been stopped from even singing hymns in this country. Uh, we've had uh, religious ceremonies such as funerals and uh, weddings that have been uh, infringed upon with rules, like capacity and all the rest of it. Uh, and some of the churches have just walked hand in hand with government on this. Quite unbelievable to see that. Uh, when we think about the early Christians and the bravery that they had against the authorities, uh, you know, that we fed to the lions. We're going to hear from one man who's uh, got the fighting spirit of a lion. Uh, he has uh, been around for quite a while uh, in the Anglican church. Uh, Father David Smith set up a boxing club for at risk youth. And so he's a fighter at heart and he's been fighting hard against some of the pandemic restrictions. Here's Father Dave. Well, it's a pleasure to bring a touch of the divine to a Conservative One, and we're joined in this episode by Anglican priest, uh, Father Dave Smith, or as he's known to many as uh, Fighting Father Dave. Thanks very much Thank you, for Father. joining us. <laughs> now, um, you have been known as Fighting Father Dave because you've been a major proponent of of boxing and uh, that sport for um, our youth and uh, and particularly youth at risk. This pandemic's put a lot of youth at risk. Uh, the restrictions and uh, all of it probably put more youth at risk than uh, than what the pandemic ever would. Um, what is your feeling about uh, what this has done to our youth and our society uh, Father Dave? Yeah.
1: Now I, I totally on board with you on that George. I just think the um for me, it's a bit like Johnson's snake bite antidote, if you remember the great Banjo Patterson poem, where the, the cure is 10 times worse than the disease, you know. Now, I'm, I don't want to minimise the impact of the disease, and I have lost a friend uh, to COVID in, in, in Syria, not in Australia, but a wonderful man, Father Alexei, he died of it. But um, I've lost, I think, five people I know who've suicided over the period of the lockdowns. One of our kids in the, my boxing club went to see his dad and found his dad had hanged himself um, Now I'm not, I don 't know the details of that and it was specifically related to lockdowns. What I do know is that the lockdowns I think have had the effect of pushing people who are on the edge over the edge and um, you know I, I've been going through a tough time myself for the last couple of years and I felt the pull of the abyss. You know myself, which I think has given me a real sense of identity uh, with those who are struggling. And, uh, and I guess, I, so for the last um, uh, six months or a year, especially, I've been working closely with men, uh, particularly who've been close to suicide. Uh, and, and I've seen the destruction, the lockdowns, the separation, the breaking of relationships, the breakdown of the community, which I think, I don't think we've seen the full ramifications of that yet. You know what I mean? I suspect the damage has been deep and will be long lasting.
0: Yeah, I think you're right. And uh, I mean, uh, mental illness has certainly um, been exacerbated by uh, this pandemic and the lockdowns and all the rest of it. And uh, uh, just a shout out for anyone in need, uh, uh, you know, contact Lifeline or or seek some professional help. But uh, Father Dave, let's talk a bit quickly about your background. Uh, You um, have been uh, a priest for obviously a long, long time or very well known uh, priest within the Anglican Church. Um, Tell us a quick bit about your background and what has led you to the point where you are now a very outspoken advocate against all of the uh, uh, impositions on our freedoms and uh, and all that's gone on under the name of the... uh, of dealing with the pandemic or flattening the curve as they call it curves never been flattened a lot a lot of a lot of other things have been flattened but not the curve but uh tell us a bit about your background father dave
1: thanks brother i mean look i think
0: uh, you know i grew up as a
1: rather crazy kid you know and was very much a part of the punk rock movement in the uh 70s and um I, i had my experience meeting god when i was in 1980 and, um, yeah, that was a turning point for me, but, I mean, I think since then I've really devoted a lot of my energies to working with kids who are lost in the same way I was. I always I've never met a kid that was worse than I was, so um, working with guys on the edge, working with guys with drug and alcohol problems in particular, well, mainly mainly drug problems. and. Um, we started the boxing program as a way of working with um, uh, kids with heroin issues in particular. So we we were very much in my parish, I was there for 30 years in Dulles Hill, and we were very much the heroin capital of the inner west of Sydney in the 90s and early 2000s. And we developed the boxing program as a a part of that. I went professional as a boxer just to raise funds for a drop-in program we were running and yeah, we, we spent many, many years there working with young people who, we, we'd see a group new group come in every year. And at the end of that year, we'd see some will have died and some will have gone to prison and some would be okay. And we found generally the guys we were working with in the boxing program, they were the ones who were doing okay. Mm-hmm. So that's been my bread and butter um, it was for most of my life, but certainly most of the last 30 years. And I mean, it's what we're best known for. It, how that's led to
0: uh,
1: an emphasis on personal freedoms is really because it's this same group of people who are struggling, who I think have been most deeply hit by the reality of not just lockdowns in themselves, but the community breakdown, the idea that you've got to distance yourself from other people, the fact you're not allowed to see your your loved ones if they're in, hosp- I mean, all the, the ways in which um, I think the government has really defiled what is holy, you know, yep. in many places. Fundamental things, not just of worship, but funerals and yep. weddings and, and things which no one, in my view, should be able to come between, uh, you know, a man and his son at his deathbed or something like that. And yet, this is exactly what uh, we've seen the government do. And I think it's just, it's, it's been monstrous. Uh, yeah. And, of course, I've seen the, the specific effects of that on the vulnerable people uh, who have been I've been working with. Uh, as I say, yeah. people who are a little fragile mentally, people who are struggling in other ways, the breaking off of their community, the pulling away their support network. You know, being uh, isolated is fine if you're living in a big house with a big family. And, you know, if you're by yourself and living living in a
0: tiny little flat and isolated to begin with. Um, yeah, it's going to have greater impacts. So. So, so you've had a strong heart for social justice for quite some time. I find that with a lot of uh, priests in particular, and uh, I, I, sorry to delve into the personal political questions, uh, but obviously I, I, I can have a guess that you've been someone who's been left-leaning, perhaps Labor supporting in the past, would uh, yeah. be right in that assessment? Yeah, I always thought I was a bit of a leftist, you know. Until recently,
1: <laughs> you know, I, I remember I joined the Labor Party as a young man. I thought the democratic socialization, socialization industry sounded like a good idea. Um, I'm not so sure now. I mean, mm-hmm. I left the Labor Party many years ago for particular issues or certain things they'd done that I couldn't um, deal with. But you know, it's it's occurred to me recently that that in terms of you take take the three ideals of the French Revolution, which which were equality, um, liberty, fraternity. Yep. fraternity. Yep. Equality and liberty are never going to sit easily with each other. <laughs> mm, mm. You know, if you've got liberty, things aren't naturally equal. You know what I mean? The, the fittest survive, etc. You know, and to have equality, you've got to force it. You know what I mean? <laughs> you've got to You've got to. It's not going to happen without a lot of control you know so there's a balance there somewhere i would have thought and you know i thought well, we could I mean, do it we... More equality but what seeing the sacrifice of our liberties
0: yeah uh, has we'll, really pushed we'll be, me out of the way i guess it's led me to the thought when we have more liberty uh people are free to work towards uh equality in their own little sphere in their own little corner of the world like you have done uh with your uh, with your boxing uh club there so uh, more power to you. But how, I, I guess that uh, the way the mainstream media and the political establishment as well have almost framed this whole pandemic uh, saga as being us uh, people who've been talking about liberties, have been talking about freedom, uh, crazy right-wing conspiracy theorists almost, um, and, and it seems to be the left that are pushing hard against people like you and me as someone who's come from a left-wing background i mean how does that uh, how, how do you deal with it how do you how do you decipher that um that rationale and that sort of political landscape yeah it's been very difficult i've lost a lot of friends
1: you know yeah. um, a lot lot of people i thought uh, we were working closely with who no longer speak to me i think that's been the experience of a lot of us uh, where yeah. we're marginalized and and uh caricatured as being, you know, crazy anti-vaxxers or whatever we are, and I've had that a lot from within the church, you know, mm. uh, which for the most part has just gone along with the government completely. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, for me, left ring, right wing is not really the issue. It's about concern for people, and as I say, in terms of that balance between liberty and and uh, equality, uh, we, we've got we've got to push back towards liberty. Yeah. You know? yeah I mean, sure. I, I personally think some value, some spiritual value like fraternity is what can hold the two together. Yeah. You know, without the, the spiritual uh, basis, I think you're never going to get those two working together. So you've just got to sort of push one way or the other. Maybe there'll be a time we can push back more towards equality. But at the moment, uh, our liberties have been sacrificed in a way in which I never, never could have anticipated would happen in this country. And, yeah. you know, you think. Uh, you know, I go back to listening to my dad when I was growing up talking about why we had to fight the good fight in South Vietnam. You know, and he was a great believer in that war. And, you know, he said, Well, we have these liberties in our country, and this is what our country is founded on, this is what our forefathers have fought for, and this is why, you know, when I was um, I think ten years old, the war was still going on, and I assumed when I was eighteen it would still be going on. And you know, and my dad was quoting, people, you may have to go and fight and die for that because these things are worth defending. These freedoms, you know, which which we experience in this country, they're worth dying for, you know, even if you, my son, have to, to make that sacrifice. It was a freaky thing to be thinking of at uh, 10, 12 years old. But, you know, I look back now and I realise, OK, I may not specifically see the Vietnam War as, as being a great, great example of, of why we need to fight. But the basic ideals he was uh, pushing forward that there are things worth dying for and things worth fighting for and that the freedoms we've taken for granted in this country you know really worth standing up for and just to see the way they've just been sacrificed and just uh, I, I i never thought i would see that um you know and i i think our, our, many of our uh dear forefathers that would
0: be turning over in their graves you know, yeah yeah yeah, without a doubt. Now, um, you've touched on it uh, in this interview already, that is the issue of government impositions on churches and places of worship. Uh, we've seen extraordinary measures. Uh, now, now, to get philosophical for a second, uh, people often talk about the separation of church and state and they completely misunderstand it. The separation of church and state and that doctrine was about the state not interfering in religious affairs of men in ensuring that there was religious liberty for uh, for men. And when I say men, I mean men and women. So, so uh, we've had the situation, though, where churches have been shut down for our own safety, apparently, uh, to only vaccinated people can attend church services and other worship services. Uh, there should be no singing, uh, restrictions on numbers. Uh, then you've touched on you know, religious ceremonies like weddings and funerals and uh, those sorts of things. Um, How have you... I I would like to get your take on it. How do you feel as a clergyman seeing government impose its will on churches?
1: Yeah, I mean, personally, I think it's been a catastrophe. Um, Maybe it was the will of God that I was squeezed out of my position as parish priest just as the first lockdown started, um, because there's just no way um, I could have gone with the rules that were imposed. Um, it, it, so where do you start? I mean, I, I think of our, you know, we used to lionize the early Christian church because that risk being fed the lions, you know, rather than fail to meet with each other. Um, you know, they risk life and limb. Now we're, you know, the first word of the government and bang, we're, we're Oh, yeah, don't meet together. I mean, for goodness sake, I remember when this first started, I I posted something online and my bishop rang me up and told me to take it down. Um, that was just questioning. I I raised questions about where we draw the line, you know, uh, are we not allowed to meet for worship? What what, what about if we're not allowed to embrace our children? And I remember the bishop saying to me, Well, come on, don't be absurd. No one's saying you can't embrace your children. Uh, I remember a few weeks after that, I saw a video of a man being prevented from embracing his child, you know, as he was getting off a plane and, you know, that's exactly where it went. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I I, think there are some things that are holy and should not be where the government just has no right, uh, mm. you know, to, to become between a parent and a child. Uh, to, to prevent us being able to grieve properly the death of a loved one, uh, to prevent, uh, children being at the bedside of a dying parent; uh, these sorts of things that they're just fundamental to what it means to be human. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I think too that the Hebrew concept of the, the skin, the baza in skin, it, it, it's part of my understanding in Hebrew is that it's what makes us human because because we can touch one another. Yeah, right. You know, if you can't touch one another, can you be fully human? Mm. You know, so f- for me. And this is what I do with the young people as well. I, I get kids, men and boys, you know, wrestling, boxing, getting physical with each other. And this is part of the healing process. You know, I used to, I used to teach uh, wrestling in, in the prison situation, in prison, kids' prisons at one point. And I became very conscious that so many of those young men only ever associated physical contact with violence yeah. <laughs> and being able to reintroduce um, You know, rough play. I'm not talking about just sort of hugging each other, but rough play. In other words, getting physical with each other in a way that's cooperative and and nurturing. Very powerful, healing thing. And the healing power of touch. I mean, I'm sure we're all familiar with that study of, I think it was the Ukrainian babies who all died through lack of being cuddled when they were infants. You know, human beings need to touch each other. So this whole. Thing where this regime comes down and, and says, in our Christian community, you're no longer allowed to touch each other. You're no longer allowed to sing songs of praise. You're actually no longer allowed to meet each other as human beings physically at all. Is just a way of destroying our humanity. I think uh, not just uh, as religious people, but but as as human beings. I think it defiles what is holy.
0: Yeah, and and so uh, you talked about your bishop and his reaction to your post, uh, what I've seen from most uh, bishops and other church leaders, doesn't matter what denomination it is, mm. apart from in some of the orthodox and perhaps some of the uh, the evangelical charismatic churches, I think in pockets there, there has been a bit of pushback. But by and large, many of the denominations, uh, including in the Anglican Church, they've just rolled over. They've said, uh, yep, we've all got to We've all got to think of the greater good here and uh, stay at home. Close your churches down. Uh, no more services. Uh, you know, stay away if you're unvaccinated. I've even got um, dioceses that I know of. Yeah, there's dioceses that I know of that have instituted their own, voluntarily instituted their own uh, workplace vaccine mandates, where uh, clergy, volunteers, administrative workers. Uh, uh, they all have to be vaccinated, or they don't get to serve. Um, and uh, and even to the point where some churches have instituted uh, segregated services—one uh, service for people who want vaccinated only, and another service for the unclean lepers. How does that uh, gel with you, seeing yeah, um, a church acquiesce to this sort of stuff and, yeah, and bringing this I'm sort unbelievable of unbelievable that this could be
1: the Church of Jesus Christ? You know, the one who welcomed the lepers and touched them. You know, unbelievable. Um, it reminds me of, uh, you know, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. I don't want to over-dramatise it, but you remember where in the, in the the when the rise of the Nazis, he had this thing, where do you draw the line? You know, he drew it right at the beginning when, when the Nazis said that uh, Jews were no longer allowed to be ordained as Christian clergy. And he said the church that does not ordain Jews is not the Church of Jesus Christ. You know, others said, oh, you know, we go with this. It's just a little thing. You know what I mean? Uh, and, of course, they end up working the gas chambers like everybody else. You know, he drew the line right at the beginning. And that's what I felt we should have done. As, as soon as they say, I'm sorry, you can't meet for church, um, I'm sorry, you can't touch each other, I'm sorry, you can't sing praises anymore. I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> In my understanding, <laughs> the church that can't sing praises and where we can't embrace and where we can't meet as human beings is no longer the, the church of Jesus Christ. I would have...
0: Drawn the line right there at the beginning, you know. So what do Christians do? I mean, if you're facing a situation where your denomination that you've been in, perhaps even for life, uh, has suddenly brought in segregated services, got uh, uh, no job, no job policies uh, for their clergy and others, uh, they've taken this approach, should we leave? What's your thoughts? What should those Christians do?
1: it's a really good question brother i mean I'm, I'm fortunate fortunate in the sense that i've been pushed out of my parish so i'm able to operate independently on the periphery you know i run my bush camp on the weekends which is the, the scene you can see in the background that's the gym at the bush camp you know and out there we we have our weekly eucharist as we've always done you know with the bread and wine into the hands of each other and uh, it's it's a Yeah, we we haven't changed a thing, I'm afraid. And uh, look, I remember, George, back in when we had the AIDS crisis back in the um, 80s, you know, and I I was working at a church in King's Cross at the time, which, if you know, is the red light district in Sydney. And um, at that time, everyone was saying, well, you can't share the common cup, you know, because we could get AIDS from someone. And we we had a guy there who was, um, from the they were called the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence. It was, okay, a little weird group, but they were um, uh, uh, transgender men. And one of these guys from the Sisters, he would make the point of being the first up at the communion rail, right? He's gonna drink from the cup before everybody else. So the question is, he's daring them. Are you gonna come after me? You're gonna drink from the same cup? And we all did no hesitation whatsoever for us at the time it was a matter of faith now it turned out afterwards that in actual fact it was the safest thing to do because if he had low immunity if he did have hiv aids you know uh, his immunities were low and he could have died if he caught a cold from one of us but our chance of catching aids from him was nothing you know so it turned out to be medically the smart thing to do anyway but the point at the time was for us it was an act of faith you know are we going to break communion here and no longer share in the eucharist no we're people of faith we're going to push forward um that's how i think we should i think we should have done quite frankly i say you can't meet together you can't sing you can't share the eucharist anymore you can't Well, sorry it's what we do yeah it's who we are Uh, and uh, we're not willing to compromise that Uh, fetus alliance if you have to that would have been my approach yeah, yeah.
0: So, so uh, I'm going to push a bit further on it. Uh, what, what, what should we do? Uh, would you say to someone, yep, if you feel that aggrieved, leave your denomination and go elsewhere? Or do you think that people should stick it out in their churches and uh, try and either wait this madness out or try and actively change uh, their denomination rules from within so that they do become more the Church of Jesus Christ? What's your view, Father Dave?
1: I, I don't know, brother. I, I mean, it's a really good question, and I wish I had some sagely wisdom. What I'm seeing people do on the whole is I'm seeing a great degree of disillusionment with the established church. I mean, that's been in this country since the beginning when, when we were out there, you know, supporting the, the authorities over the convicts, but... Um, i'm very conscious in the freedom movement particularly there's an enormous grassroots spiritual awakening happening that i see the amount of religious language being spoken at the rallies i go to is is uh, like nothing i've ever seen before in this country uh, some of my friends had said that maybe australia was targeted you know because we're not a, a country with, with any real religious uh, culture you know, And I think, well, maybe they under, if that's true, maybe they underestimated us, you know, because I'm seeing at a grassroots level, enormous uh, uh, movement of, of, of spiritual energy, uh, but not attached to the official mainline church, yeah. and uh, which I think is tragic on the one hand. But I mean, from my point of view, it's an opportunity to try and reach out and, and offer some sort of nurture and spiritual support uh, to people who are feeling spiritually alive, but detached from any uh, religious community. So, you know, I think we need, uh, within the Christian tradition, certainly, uh, religion has always been a communal activity. Mm. You know, it's not simply me with my line to God and you with your line to God. It's always been something we do together. You know, we meet, we break bread, we share, we pray together. It's the way we work. And I think we've got to find ways to keep doing that. I mean, you know, I I encourage people to come and join me online on a Sunday midday and do that. But that's a very limited way of doing it. I totally appreciate that. You know, we need ultimately to be able to touch each other, literally. And uh, to form real human community again, if we've got any hope, I think.
0: Yeah, yeah. So um, you mentioned before uh, a friend of yours talking about Australia being target and it's interesting uh use of, of words there because a lot of people that feel myself included that there's something dark actually something a little bit um off evil uh, about this whole situation uh, with that many rights that have been thrown out the window uh, that many freedoms that have been expunged um, with job losses that have occurred because people have refused to uh, just do what they're told about the uh, vaccines that, um, that uh, you know, are only provisionally approved and don't have long-term safety data. Uh, all of this stuff um, leads me to feel that, that there's something sinister going on, and I'm wondering if you could give any theological reasoning or rationale for why I and many others are feeling that way.
1: I'm, I'm with you, brother. I'm with you. I, I don't pretend to have any great insight into the actual mechanics, but there's something dark happening. But, but you know, I, I, I think the other side of that is I see some remarkable good things happening as well. As I say, I see a, a, a spiritual awakening happening amongst ordinary Australian people that I had not anticipated. You know, when I say at these freedom rallies, I've seen an extraordinary number of not just Christian, but also Muslim people and also Indigenous people expressing their faith in their way. I see enormous coming together in prayer and in faith, uh, looking looking to God together. So there's something dark happening. The actual mechanics of that, um, I don't know. I mean, I, I can see that the old twin evils of power and money uh you know, working through the vaccine companies and through the governments and all that sort of thing and through the media, etc. Whether there's a small cabal of of men behind it all, you know, scheming and plotting or or whether it's just something deeper, spiritual malaise built into the system of the way we as human beings have, have evolved. I don't know. But what I do see is that the spirit of God is moving
0: in response and and i think that's exciting it certainly is and um whether there is that cabal involved uh, we'll never know because neither you nor i are invited to their meetings but we are invited to uh, the rallies and uh you're right there has been uh, a great awakening in these r- rallies and i see a lot of them that begin with prayer and invoking uh, god almighty and uh, i think that we need a lot more of it if we are to heal because right now i think that uh more so the responses to the pandemic than the pandemic itself have broken our society in a way. uh, And we need healing more than ever. So please close us in a prayer, Father Dave, if you can. Thank you, brother. Thank you.
1: Lord God Almighty, we do thank you that your light continues to shine in the darkness and that the darkness has never been able to put it out. We recognise that there are many dark, things happening in our world at the moment and in our country. We grieve the divisions we see around us as we grieve those who've been uh, made ill through the virus and those who've been pushed over the edge through government policies. We recognise the broad pain there is across our country and around our world. Lord, we ask for healing, for unity and for courage as we confront the evils that have done so much damage. Lord, give us strength, give us faith. Thy kingdom come.
0: Amen. Amen. Thank you very much for that, Father Dave, and uh, God bless you. Uh, May you uh, continue to do good good work with the uh, at-risk youth and uh, in the boxing arena. And uh, uh, thanks for your support. Thanks for being here on Conservative One.
1: A pleasure and a privilege, brother. Thank you.
0: Conservative One, Pandemic Unmasked, is hosted by George Christensen, MP. You can find more episodes from this series at goodsource.news forward slash unmasked. This show is produced and published without censorship or paywall by the team at The Good Source, thanks to The Good Source supporters. If you'd like to be part of the solution by helping us produce more truthful content like this each month, head to goodsource.news and click on the support button. Make sure to follow George Christensen on Telegram, Getter, Gab, Parler, Facebook, Twitter and YouTube. You can also help us beat the algorithms by giving us five stars and encouraging comments in Apple Podcasts. Thanks for tuning in.